0: Let We'll
1: You're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Narduarda Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there Skylarkin with antibodies. And before that, you heard a couple songs live from Pure Joy. Pure Joy eventually turned into the band Flop from Seattle, Washington, this was actually released, what I displayed you, on the No 3s record label from Seattle, Washington, run by Kurt Block of The Fastbacks. No 3s also released The Veins, 7-inch featuring Duff McKagan, who, of course, was into farts and the fastbacks as well. And we heard from pure joy from the start of the Nardwarta Human Serviette radio show, Jester and Mary the Whore, And these songs were recorded live at The Vogue in Seattle, Washington, 90210, probably around 1990. And this is on the No Threes, the legendary No Threes record label. And I mentioned right after Pure Joy, we played from London, England, I guess, Leeds, England, and maybe some other locations as well. Skylarkin, and who do we have on the phone right now? Hello, are you there? caller?
2: Hello, this is Katie from Skylarkin from Leeds, West Yorkshire, England.
1: Thank you for clarifying that. Who are you? Who are you? Please, could you introduce I'm... yourselves? Who else is in Skylarkin, and what song did we hear, Katie?
2: Um, I, yeah, I'm Katie. There is also Nesta, who plays the drums, and Douglas, who plays the bass, who is instantly from Wales. And you heard the song Antibodies. Are
1: you from London? I said London. I think you're from London, aren't you? Or you lived in London for a little while, yes, didn't you?
2: I did. Um, Nesta and I grew up in Yorkshire, which is the north of England. We grew up in Leeds, but I went down to London to study for a while. And when the band started, I was writing songs in London, and I was in London. Nesta was in Leeds, and Doug was in Scotland. So we were quite quite spread out, but we're all back in Leeds now. And oh, now, not. right now, I'm in somewhere in washington but
1: (laughs) yes right now you have found me how the hell did you find me sky larkin i'm speaking to you (laughs) katie from sky larkin playing richards on richards tomorrow night with los Campanizos, an early show at richards on richards right katie yeah
2: it's an early show like uh, we're opening up for los campesinos who are a band on the same label um as us in england and uh yeah, we're on at about seven o'clock. I understand it's an early show, so if you want to come down, then it's it's early.
1: Wichita recording artist Sky Larkin. But how did you discover me, Sky Larkin? Why am I speaking to you today? How
2: did you find me? How did we hook up? What the hell is I, going on? I don't know. I think the universe like directed you to me somehow. I, I don't know. The first time that I came across not the human yeah, I I believe it will be something to do with the internet. And then I remember, in fact, one of the first Skywalking gigs that we ever played, I had just got your first DVD and we were all sleeping on the floor in my house uh, in London and um, we decided to sit around and watch the Nardwa DVD. So part of an early Skylarkin bonding experience. (laughs) I was
1: thinking really hard. Thank you for making me part of that there, Katie, from Skylarkin. I was thinking, how could I possibly connect it to you? How did we hook up? How did all this happen? And I think it might go back to the band The Organ, because The Organ are on Mint Records from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Didn't you play a gig with The Organ? You have quite a history of playing with Canadian bands. You Say Party, We Say Die, The Organ. Melissa Oftemauer, you have met as well. You're drunk. Nester wears a "Death from Above" T-shirt. There's quite a bit of Canadian love, so maybe it's not that unusual that we should hook up. i out of a blue here.
2: No, I mean, there's Canadian Canadian bands on on Wichita uh, that are released. But at least three through tower like uh, Broken Social Scene, and I kind of feel like I've been to Vancouver already because we toured the UK with You Say Party, We Say Die, uh, so, uh, who are unfortunately out of town the one night that we do make it to Vancouver, so hello to them if they are possibly listening. But, um, yeah, I, I already feel like we've got a great affinity, and we, we've been on tour... Um, for north america for nearly five weeks now and we managed to make it up to the to the other side and had a great time in montreal and toronto but as i say we've we already feel like we've got a rapport with vancouver that we need to we need to follow up and we're excited to coming over katie from
1: sky larkin what do you remember about your gig with the organ from vancouver the organ playing in
2: london england a vancouver band taking over england Oh <laughs> that well, was a, it was a gig in a place called Joseph's uh, Well and it was actually one of our very first shows ever um, and yeah, there's a, a girl called Lindsay playing the bass at the time, but I understand they're not around anymore. Is that
1: true? No, they've taken kind of a break. It might all be over. And the lead singer moved to Toronto, Ontario, and it opened up, I think, a store, a restaurant, or a club. So there's still some ah. music. There's still some music. Well, is, is a club yeah. music? Well, yeah, or a store is music, too, because you're always playing music in the store. That was the organ. They were doing pretty well in England, too, weren't they, the organ?
2: Yeah, definitely. I know a lot of people that still, I mean, we did, we went to Germany in February and um, somebody um, asked us about, yeah, playing with the organ and he was saying that they were his favorite band of the last 10 years and so yeah, they definitely, you know, reverberated around the world from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada.
1: And same with You Say Party, We Say Die. I noticed that you played with them in a library. What's a library gig like?
2: Oh, it's it's amazing. It's just in Lancaster, in in the north of England. It's like through the local council. It's a really great scheme that they have these gigs at at the library. It's like loud at the library, and it's all ages shows. And you play, and they put the stage right in front of the the stacks of books. And they open up the library at night, and it's all it's all run by um, like a local sort of community music youth club, so you know, the people on the door and uh, doing the sound and everything are all in, involved in it, and it's, yeah, it's it's fun to make loud noise in somewhere, you're supposed to be quiet.
1: Well, Katie from Skylark, and that's great, you get to actually play right near the stacks, right near the books,
2: yeah. because yeah, no... Yeah, right, right next to them, I think we were in, I think we were in the children's book section when we played, actually, which is quite surreal, um, Cause the there, ba- was a, there was it was all ages, and there were some really young kids there, and um We made a little girl cry because it was too loud. (laughs) I felt really bad, but, yeah, it was too loud for her. But I apologised, and I came and talked to her afterwards and said that that live music is very loud, but it's also fun, and she shouldn't be worried. Well, did she just happen to be
1: in the library looking for books, or was it a special (laughs) event that you had to actually go to? No,
2: no, she'd she'd been brought, I think, but she had only about six or seven, and it was just too loud.
1: What's well, great that you actually did play in the Stacks, and I mentioned that because when I interviewed a band No Age from Los Angeles, California, who I think are coming to Vancouver very soon, to the Biltmore, and I'm speaking here live to Katie from Sky Larkin, who are playing in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, tomorrow night at Richards and Richards, an early show with Los Campanisos. I mention that because when I interviewed No Age, I asked them about playing the library in Los Angeles, and they played the library in Los Angeles, but it wasn't actually beside the Stacks. They had, like, a special room for it. So, uh... so 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 it's great that you actually were in the library, like right in the children's section.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, actually, Los Campesinos, the band that we're playing with, No Age toured with them around the UK on the Shred Your Face tour, so everybody's connected somehow. (laughs) Are you getting
1: any No Age fans coming out to go see Los Campesinos? How did that tour do for them?
2: It was great. It was a three-band bill. Um, Shred Your Face is a, a sort of UK tour that started up. That the first one was Times New Viking, No Age, and Los Campesinos, and then the most recently they had one that was Tomasi, um effed up, and uh, the Bronx, and they've both been really great, really so great tours.
1: Are those people coming up to see you? Are you getting fucked up fans coming to see Skyler? Yeah, Sky I am not about
2: to swear on your radio station. <laughs> But yeah, um, yeah. Like we definitely see. I mean, no age have some really striking T-shirts. So we've definitely seen some of them in the crowd. Uh, and actually, I think our show in our shows in Canada have had. The, I'm not just saying this, but they've had the best band T-shirts in the crowd. Like when people come to the merch band in Montreal, there was a guy with an amazing um, M83 T-shirt that I wanted to like buy off him because I'd never seen it and it was so so cool.
1: And in Montreal, you tried to hook up with Melissa Oftemauer, and she wasn't around either. What's your connection between Melissa Oftemauer and Sky Larkin, Katie?
2: Well, um, when she came to Leeds and I was still just finishing high school, my friend was interviewing her for the student paper, and she she knew that I'd like the bands that Melissa had been in and said, did did I want to come along? And Melissa kind of just you know took a shine to me and my friend and saw that we were both, you know, young women who were interested in making music and appreciating music and she was very kind and sweet and emailed me and um i remember she put me on the you know she got me into a festival in the uk that i wouldn't have been able to afford to go to and i i you know she was very sweet and encouraging to me at the time and then i didn't i hadn't heard from her or you know seen her in years and then bumped into her at south by southwest in austin texas and it was like the universe had put us back in into contact with each other again. And so since then we've had, a you know, chats about the sort of musical journeys that we've been on and it's amazing that, it, you know, that it, I've been brought to Canada.
1: Katie from Skylarkin, Amazon. was one of the first gigs that you ever saw to Smashing Pumpkins and was Melissa on bass at that yeah. time?
2: It was, I don't know how you knew that, but um, I, I, this is what I would come to expect from, from, uh, from Nardwa, your excellent knowledge. But, yes, the first show I ever saw, I was 14 years old. It was in Manchester, England, on Halloween, and it was the Smashing Pumpkins' first farewell tour. Uh, And they, yeah, Melissa dressed up as Posh Spice. That was my first ever show.
1: And you are Katie from Skylarkin coming tomorrow night to Richards yep. on Richards with Los Campanisos, an early show at Los Campanisos, also playing Vancouver tomorrow night. Are the Ting Tings, are they hot on your trail? Are they following you everywhere, the Ting Tings, another European British band?
2: Yeah, we seem to, they, they really are. We did it, we, we seem to be playing lots of venues. Like I think they were playing the venue in Denver, Colorado the, the day after we were, so. Yeah, we, we seem to be driving each other around.
1: Would they have any idea who you are at all?
2: Would they? Yes. I don't know. You never know. Like, sometimes, yeah, sometimes you, you can be surprised, but I would be surprised.
1: In Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, as you mentioned, Katie from Skylark, and we have You Say Party, We Say Die. Now, did yeah. they tell you at all about their adventures in the United States of America, how they're not quite allowed to go over the border quite yet? Did they tell you about yeah. any of that?
2: I know that is very unfortunate, but then it's been very, uh, I, I think the amazing thing about them is that, you know, they've had, you know, this issue about getting to the States and so they've used it as a real inspiration to go to other places and so that's why they've done so many tours in Asia and things like that and, and extensive touring around Europe. So, you know, it's great to see something like that, not just as a, a problem, but as, you know, an opportunity or a kind of, uh, you know, inspiration to to go a little further afield. How
1: about you, Katie from Skylark? And how's your tour going so far? Have you guys been pulled over at all? I know you ran out of gas, but have you been pulled over at all?
2: No, we've not been pulled over because we're, we're driving. We're sharing our gear with Los Campesinos, so very kindly letting us use their backline. So we are driving a soccer mom-style minivan, so it looks very inoffensive. Um, so we we don't look like a typical band. So we haven't we haven't been pulled over yet, but we did as you say, run out of gas in the desert in Utah. And why did
1: that Why did that, <laughs> Why did that? that did happen? Did you just forget to look at the gas gauge? Was it broken? Were you just so excited?
2: Yeah. Well, they didn't have, they didn't have, because it's in the desert, they don't have gas stations for a very long time. And as we pulled onto the freeway, it said no gas station for 58 miles. And our tour manager, Ben, thought that we would be okay. And we made it 57 and a half miles until we <laughs> pulled over and we just sort of Yeah, we sort of guided into the hard shoulder and uh, had to stand and and wait by the side of the road in the desert for someone to to rescue us. But luckily the the boys could just... uh, They managed to start walking to the gas station and an Austrian big rig driver picked them up and took them to get gas.
1: Katie, when you're touring in Europe, you travel in a Royal Mail van. What's that like, the Royal Mail van? How expensive was that to get?
2: Not not expensive at all. They... they, um, the Royal Mail, the British Postal Service, they get rid of their vans about, um, quite a lot to keep their, their fleet kind of in good condition. And, resultingly, most of the vans in Leeds that I know, we, we all drive old post vans because um, they've already got the split in the back, you know, where you put all the posts. So they're ideal for st- storing amps. And then they've got the, the crew cabs in the front, and they're very basic vehicles. But we've managed to get it as far as the Czech Republic. Yeah, far east is the Czech Republic, and as far north is, the, is Scotland, so it's done some miles. So, Katie from
1: Sky Larkin, you're coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, tomorrow night, then the tour yeah. winds on some more, but you're not playing the Coachella Festival. Did you try to get on the Coachella Festival? Because Los Caponesos, I notice, are playing there. How hard is it to get on a big festival, like a Coachella Festival? Did you try to get on that?
2: No, I, because we've, we've got to get home, because we we get home and then we've got about three days and then we start a UK tour so it's no rest for the wicked we, the show must go on so we have to we have to get home but no, that would be a wonderful festival to play but our, our record isn't out until it's out on the 14th um, so yeah we're this is our, our first release and it's called The Golden Spike
1: But isn't it kind of frustrating only you'll be right there at the Coachella Festival <laughs> and you won't be able to go and you won't be able to play but you're right there ready to play
2: Right there. Well, you know, I, I I'm not I can't possibly be disappointed because the amount of travelling and everything that we've been able to do, I, I'm I don't feel sore about anything. And there's some great festivals coming up that we're going to play when we get back to the UK. Um like there's one in Brighton called The Great Escape which is all based around the city, which should be a lot of fun. And I get to go to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada anyway, so Snow Cello. Coachella, it doesn't
1: matter. <laughs> Katie from Skylarkin, you're from Leeds, or the band is based out of Leeds. How hard is it to play the Leeds Festival? Like, you guys have played the Leeds Festival. That's really cool. It's really nice you're actually able to play the Leeds, but is it hard for Leeds bands to play the Leeds Festival? And maybe you can tell the people about Leeds Reading, because like, those are like the biggest festivals in England, pretty much.
2: Yeah, it's it's a... It's a a festival that, has, that runs concurrently on the same weekend in Leeds in the north and Reading in the south, and they have the same lineup that they shuffle between the days. So it'll be, um, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, one, one. They'll, they'll switch around. Um, and the, the great thing about the Leeds festival actually is that um, they've looped bands from Leeds and the north of England have had the opportunity to play um, because they've had a future sound raw talent stage where um, there's a kind of it's like a kind of battle of the bands situation but then at the end you get to play at Leeds Festival so it it is accessible for people playing music um, you know that might not necessarily have the clout to get on on a festival bill and that's how we played the festival it was it was through that and so there is opportunity for people in Leeds there's a supportive music scene there.
1: Who are the bands that you're digging these days in Leeds? I noticed that you've been giving props to Dinosaur Pileup. I love that name, Dinosaur Pile-Up. Who are they?
2: Yeah. Who are they? Yes. You said? Um, yeah, Dinosaur Pilot are a trio from Leeds who, um, I mean, Leeds is, a, Leeds is a small town, so everybody kind of knows everybody. And you know, Doug from Skylark and used to live with two members of Dinosaur Pilot. And then there's a band called Pulled Apart by Horses, which is another fantastic band name, who uh, members of Dinosaur Pilot used to be in a band with, and Pulled Apart by Horses supported us on our UK tour. And then um, there's a, a guy called Mechanical Owl, who has been in Leeds, but based in Wales, and oh Dramatics, and tons, of, tons and tons of bands. I mean, like, as a, it's a typical thing, they're all our top friends on MySpace, but Leeds is definitely a a fertile musical place and I think Yorkshire is kind of like the Canada of England in my head anyway so I like being from there.
1: Katie from Skylarkin coming to Canada tomorrow night to Richards and Richards. You're in Skylarkin yes. opening up for Lost Campanies So an early show at Richards and Richards. Another Leeds band I was wondering about, I've been kind of fascinated about recently, was the 10,000 Things with Sam Riley, yeah. the guy who was in the Joy Division movie, Control. What can you tell the people about 10,000 Things and Sam Riley and Joy Division to Control?
2: Well, the night that I met, funnily enough, the night that I met Melissa aftermath was we, my my friend Hayley and I decided that we should all go to a pub and we went to a pub in Leeds called the Primrose and there was a band playing in the pub this tiny little one room pub and Melissa got a pint of Guinness and we watched the band and it was a band called 10,000 Things who yeah, the lead singer Sam Riley has gone on to excellently portray Ian Curtis in the Joy Division movie so yeah, the world. The world is a mysteriously interlinked place.
1: He's not a local, though, anymore, is he? They don't play much, do they?
2: No, I I haven't heard of them. They played my friend Neil's Wedding, but that was a while ago. But I haven't heard of them doing, doing gigs since. But they're all musical characters around Leeds, all of that band, so, yeah, you could probably track them down if you wanted to.
1: When is the last time you talked to the band The Cribs?
2: The Cribs? I saw them play... On the night that our album was released in the UK, and um, they're on Wichita Recordings as well, and um, they're from Wakefield, which is the next sort of town along from Leeds. It's a little town in the north of England. Um, but I think I, I didn't get to speak to them that night because we were just watching them. It was for the sort of we went went to the gig to celebrate the release of our album. I think the last time I got to speak to them was at a festival in Wakefield called Wakey Stock, which was just in a tiny little field. And Ryan had come and it had been raining and our van, our post van, got stuck in the mud. And uh, I was steering it and the boys were trying to push it out and it was just gliding on the mud. There was just no traction. And we just saw him and we're like, Ryan, Ryan. And he came and helped push it out of the mud. So he's a, you know, Wichita family member and saved the day.
1: Amazing. Katie from Skylarkin, <laughs> back to the Cribs again. You're touring up to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, but you're going to be going down to Portland. Do you think maybe you'll see Gary from the Cribs there? Because doesn't Gary from the band The Cribs live in Portland sometimes?
2: Yes, he does live there sometimes. I, I know that they are, uh, they are occupied at the moment, but I'm not sure if, if, if they'll be around in Portland, but you know, Portland's, definitely in an interesting and fun musical town and it's my birthday the night that we play in portland so hopefully it'll be fun the cribsmas
1: gigs seem interesting like the cribs had like Franz ferdinand and the kaiser chiefs backed them up at a tiny little club how did they pull that off like how was there no riot there because those bands are huge in england like in a where was that in a tiny little pub it was like Franz ferdinand and
2: Uh, the kaiser i I went I went to uh, I went to the first one. It was for a cystic fibrosis charity in the UK and they did some Christmas gigs which are now on, on a DVD. And then three nights they played their three albums um, in their entirety and they, they opened up first of all with a set of B-sides and rarities from that era and then second of all they had a surprise special guest each night which wasn't announced and um, all the gigs were sort of sold out in advance and the night that I went, yeah, it was it was fun and Ferdinand opening up for them. And it was in a place called the Brudenell Social Club, which is in Leeds, which is Leeds top DIY venue. It's run by a great guy called Nathan and it's um an old working men's club with a, a really kind of uh, a really unique feel that, you know, people can put on any kind of DIY gigs there. Like they have um DIY charity gigs there, but then they also, as you say, have, you know, big bands playing secret gigs there. Metallica Metallica was supposed to play, apparently, but that got leaked and cancelled. But, yeah, they have some incredible stuff going on there. How did word
1: not leak out late? Like the Kaiser Chiefs and Franz Ferdinand have so many, so many fans, especially in Leeds. How did it not turn out into a riot?
2: Well, I know that when Franz Ferdinand did their first secret gig at the Brudenau, um it did get leaked and they had to take the gig outside into the car park because too many people turned up and they were worried about security. But, um, I mean, for the Christmas shows, they were all charity shows and it was very well organised. So, no, there there was no problems. It was very lively, but it was all very friendly and full of Christmas cheer. Katie from Skylarkin
1: coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada tomorrow night to Richards and Richards with Los
2: Campanizos. Yep. Record
1: stores in Leeds. What's the record store in Leeds? Like, you like Sonic Boom in Seattle. What's the Sonic yes. Boom of Leeds? Is there a cool store there where you can get Seven Inches by You Say Party, We Say Die, or yeah. The Oregon? Yeah, there's two. There's um, one
2: called Crash and one called Jumbo, and they're both independently run. I mean, I would go. Into both of them on my way home from school on Mondays to go and buy seven inches because they're the kind of you know record store where they would have the little handwritten um, synopses on the front of seven inch singles and I would I would go in and buy them and we've done I mean Crash is really little it's only one little room and um, we did a acoustic in store in there and it's so small I had to sit on the counter but they're you know they're both excellent independent music shops so if you find yourself in Leeds crash or jumbo
1: I love it when you sit on the counter and do an in store like you were in Brighton doing that too weren't you
2: Yeah yeah that was um that was in oh oh I can't remember the name of that record shop but it was really lovely It was Resident really Records record in Brighton Yeah it's it kind of um it is fun. It feels like...
1: Um, well, it's like really doing an in-store. You're actually sitting on the counter right beside the till. I've never seen that before, like a band doing an in-store actually <laughs> sitting on well, the it, counter. That was great, like stopping business. It was awesome.
2: Yeah, yeah. There will be no business until I finish my song. But no, and it just means that because um, it was so people could could see us because um, you know, if we'd sat on chairs on the floor or something like that and everyone had been stood up, they wouldn't have been able to see or hear me. So, yeah, I sat on the counter.
1: Caring about the kids, Katie from Skylark. Yeah. and Katie, I played the song Antibodies, and we're going to end the to Human Serviette radio show with Fossil Eye and Beeline. Mm. These are some new selections from your brand-new CD that's going to be coming out shortly. What label is that going to be on in Canada? It's on Wichita in the UK.
2: Well, I know that Wichita are just um, starting their North American imprint, so I understand that it's going to be on Wichita, North America, um, but, I mean, all all the details for it will be on our website, which is weareskylarkin.com or myspace.com forward slash skylarkin, skylarkin. And we're on Twitter and everything else, really. So, yeah, we can definitely stay in contact.
1: What's interesting, though, about Wichita is they really love videos, like they spare no expense to do good videos, like you shot videos in New York in LA, they really care about the videos, some labels maybe would skimp on the videos, but what videos have you shot for Wichita that people can sh- check out?
2: Well, we. the great thing about Wichita is they've got a really independent spirit and they're very artist friendly and they would, they'd much rather Um, spend time on finding the right people to work with rather than just like blindly throwing money at something. So the videos that we've done have been a lot of fun and they've all been with independent um, film companies, independent directors, and with a lot of help from people in the different places that we've done them. Like we did one in Harlem in New York for Fossil Eye with a tiny crew on a street corner in Harlem in August and it was very hot. And then for Beeline, we rode shopping trolleys all around Rochester, upstate New York, um, from 6 p.m. till 8 a.m. in October while it was snowing, so it was very cold, and there were some lovely boys pushing us around in our trolleys through the freezing cold, and, um, yeah, we we owe them. And then we've just done a video for Antibodies, which we shot in Los Angeles, which looks really beautiful, um, which there's a... Yeah, it's one of those videos where I don't really want to give away the ending, so it will be on YouTube fairly soon, because we're doing a cassette EP for our antibody single release, um, and uh, yeah, so it will be on YouTube soon. Well,
1: it's really cool that Wichita will let you shoot them in the United States of America, or pay for that in the United States of America. You'd think that they'd say, you stay in Leeds, you do it all in Leeds, yeah. but they're doing all these exotic well, it's, locations.
2: It's, well, it's amazing, really, because of the resources over here that it's... much cheaper for us to do them over here Um, especially I mean, the exchange rate used to be better it's not so good anymore but um yeah it's england's a very expensive place so if we're already here you know we'd already come over to do the shows so it it made sense for us to and it and it depends on on the treatments and things that people write to do with the videos We, we wouldn't want to do something just for the sake of it um, but all the videos that we've done, I felt that it's been a really nice match to the songs.
1: They also do some other neat things, though, like you convince them to give you a watch. You have a watch, Katie, a Skylarkin yeah. watch, limited edition, no longer available, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, we saw a single uh, for Beeline, the song, um, that you'll kindly play, play soon. Um, and I was thinking about how now with the internet and downloading that, music has kind of become divorced from the object in that um, there's the idea there's the song and then there's the object which is the 7 inch single or the CD and nowadays people might buy a 7 inch single because it looks pretty but not actually play it, just download the mp3 and, and listen to that so I thought well, you know, and we thought well if the the idea and the object have kind of become separated in this way then like, why don't we think of an object that is related to the song but doesn't necessarily have to be like a physical you know musical object and beeline is about kind of choosing your moment to make a move positive move in in your life and so for beeline we chose to have a watch which around the face of the watch it says discuss the moment when we should all beeline which is one of the lyrics from the song so it's an object related to the idea and and the sound um and so yeah we released that as a single and they they sold out on pre-order pretty much which was amazing and very, very lovely,
1: Katie. There's an amazing promo shot of you guys soaking in water, and what I love about it is in the background there's like a three-masted ship. Did you pay for that ship to be there? What ship is that? <laughs> no, no, not at all. It's
2: um, that's our friend Liam Henry, who is a really uh, great an uh, independent photographer based in Leeds, who actually lives, is a, like a roommate of Matt from the band Dinosaur Pilot that we were mentioning before, and has done their artwork. And we went to Scarborough, which is um, a, a Yorkshire coastal town, very old-fashioned. And the boat that you can see in the background is like a pleasure boat that takes tourists around the bay. But that day was, incre- it was a July day, but that day was incredibly misty because we have this thing in Yorkshire called Sea Fret, which is where um, it'll be really sunny and then all of a sudden impenetrably thick fog will descend on on the shoreline. And it was so thick that we were stood just, you know, in the waves and we couldn't even see the shops on the beach. It was that thick. So it's a, it's a spooky place. Katie
1: from Sky Larkin, coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, tomorrow night to Richards & Richards, opening up for Los Campanisos an early show, an early show. When are you on again? Like, like you're on, like, at seven, 7
2: o'clock. 7 o'clock, I understand, so, yeah.
1: 7 o'clock, early. Sky Larkin at Richards on Richards. Sky Larkin is the name of your band, Sky Space Larkin. It's a bit confusing, though, isn't it, Katie? Like, in England, there's the Sky Larkin ska- sound system that I saw. What is that? Sa- Sky Larkin sound System.
2: I think that's, there's a dub DJ that uses that name, but um, yeah, it's Skylark in S K Y space L A R K I N.
1: And I also noticed another band when I was looking through *Bitch* magazine called Larkin Grimm. A band called Larkin Grimm with members members of the Dirty Projectors in that band.
2: I think that, I think it's a girl called Larkin Grimm, and then that's like yeah, she has a, a band assembled around around her it's one of the amazing things about language is that you know whenever you choose a name whether you're choosing you know a name for a child or for an album or for a band that all of a sudden all these cultural things come out of the cultural woodwork that you never knew existed before and people ask us some amazing questions there was a guy in germany that said is skylark supposed to be the sound that the branches make when the wind blows through the trees I was like well that, that wasn't what I, I was thinking of but that's amazing and we have a song called pika which is actually well uh, pika or pika depending how you pronounce it which is about the, uh, the, the disorder where people eat inedible objects but then a Japanese guy sent us an email saying in Japanese pika is the onomatopoeic sound of a, um, of a thought like you know, in, in England or North America we'd think of the light lightning uh, the light bulb above our heads. In Japan they say, Pika, that's the sound of a of an instant thought. So there's it's amazing the the sort of associations that people bring up, even if they're not they're not correct, they're still amazing.
1: Well, plus Sky Larkin Sound System. You're not the Sky Larkin Sound System. You are Sky Larkin coming tomorrow yeah. night to Richards and Richards. But Sky Larkin Sound System makes me kind of think of ska and makes me kind of think of mod type things. And your song "Beeline" at the very end there kind of has a bit of ska vibe, doesn't it? A bit of ska at the end, a little rave up at the end there, don't you think? Well, I uh, I uh, I
2: don't know. I I, I, I suppose it's all so interpretation. I, I I love that. Kind of British music, like the specials. So, um, and our drummer Nesta, his dad was a dub DJ in England in the 80s and 90s, and sometimes now. Uh, so yeah, we've we've got an association with many different kinds of music.
1: Are there many mods in Brighton? Like, you played a record shop in Brighton. Were there any mods that came out to see you? Do you go to any scooter rallies at all? Have you ever played any of those? Are there any mod there's bands? Still, I mean,
2: you know, you can still buy all that stuff in the shops in Brighton. And there's, yeah, definitely still mods driving around with their amazingly customized scooters on the beaches in, uh, on, driving around Brighton.
1: You're speaking to me live now from Seattle, Washington, Katie, from Skylarkin, and, and winding up here, just wondering, Seattle, Washington, that's where you are right now, in Seattle. Are you in mm. Seattle right now?
2: We're just, I think, about an hour and a half from Seattle, but, yeah, we're playing Seattle tonight.
1: You spent a lot of time in Seattle recording your record. What are some Seattle places that you discovered? Did you discover Dick's Drive-In, the Dick's
2: Hamburgers? Oh, my God. Yeah, we did. We were just talking about wanting to go there. We went to Dick's Diner, and um, we were recording with... Uh, John Goodmanson, and, uh, yeah, we we were very busy in the studio, but we did manage to explore a bit of Seattle, Sonic Beam Records, Dick's Diner, Sun at the Aquarium, all the classics.
1: <laughs> Are you going to have any root beer at Dick's? Is there root beer at Dick's? Because you love the root beer, don't you, Katie, from Skylarkin?
2: I, I do love root beer. I love, I love, I love root beer, but they... We don't have it in England, and so as soon as I get to North America, it's pretty much the first thing that I find. I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, have it with every meal, but it's just one of those things that we don't have at home, so whenever I'm here, I always try and grab up every opportunity. Maybe that's how I make my fortune, importing root beer to English people, because we need it.
1: Katie from Skylark, well, I think some people dislike the plain old beer, don't they? That's what England is known for, beer. They don't want the root beer. Yeah. Let's not fool ourselves. You guys want the real beer. You don't want the root beer. When you are recording with John Goodmanson, did you use, like, Marquis Ramones equipment? How did you end up with Marquis Ramones snare and all that stuff?
2: Yeah, well, we came over just with the baggage allowance of guitars that we had, um, just what we could take with us on the plane. And we recorded the album in two places. One of them was John's studio, and the other one was Two Sticks Audio, which is Death Cub for Cutie's place. And Jason from Death Cub very kindly lent Nesta his drums to use for the recordings. Um, and Nesta plays the drums very hard, so it was very kind of him. But yeah, one of the the snare drums that we used was Marky Ramon's snare drum, so hopefully there was some of that spirit in the recording. Now Katie you're coming
1: to Vancouver British Columbia Canada tomorrow night for an early show at Richards on Richards what are gigs mm-hmm. like in United Kingdom or Scotland like I noticed when you guys played King Tats in Scotland what's that like the curfew was like 11:30 p.m when do gigs end in England usually?
2: Yeah I mean it's usually about um midnight i mean it depends if there's a club night on in the venue afterwards then they'll they'll finish early but again um in in England um the drinking age is eighteen, so there are fewer all ages shows because um I know a lot of venues in North America you have to be twenty one to get into let alone drink so uh yeah the the shows the early shows are sometimes the all ages shows, isn't that right?
1: How about here, though? Does it go a bit later, do you find? Are the gigs going a bit later? Is it unusual to play an early show? Or have you done some no, of those I on mean, this tour?
2: I mean, in the UK, they're about the same time as they are as they are here. But in Europe, especially, they can go on a lot later. In Europe, they, they quite often have have bands playing until two or three
1: and lastly, Katie, from Skylarkin, you were at South by Southwest. You ran into Melissa Oftemauer which is amazing. However, it did is. you did you run into PJ Harvey at all? Did you see PJ Harvey? Who did you bump into aside from Melissa Oftemauer
2: I, I would have loved to bump into PJ Harvey. He's an English national treasure. Um, but uh, I did... I saw lots of bands, and then I did, I did bump into some people. I was stood outside a venue on the first night that we played the Wichita Records Showcase, and Molly from Ponytail sailed past my vision. Um, she was having a piggyback with, with a friend, and I just said, you're in Ponytail, your band's amazing, um, and gave her a copy of our album and was quite tipsy at the time and forgot to tell her that we were playing a show together in Philadelphia, which we did, which was excellent, and they're, they're an amazing live band.
1: Have you spotted any other celebs? Any celebs coming out to see Los Campanisos at all?
2: Um, I know that there was some broken social scene and arts and crafts guys at the show in Toronto, and uh, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, that 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 was a great gig.
1: Right now, we're going to end with Beeline. What can you tell the people about Beeline?
2: Beeline was the song that I was telling you that is uh, the the song about picking your moment to beeline your moment to to make your move and uh, it was the last song before we went to record so it was the the last single. If you you like the song then check out the video on YouTube it's us careering around in shopping trolleys racing each other down multi-story car parks and bridges and stuff. It was a lot of fun.
1: Plus, we have the song Fossil Eye. What's the song Fossil Eye about? We're going to end with it right now. The song Fossil Eye by Sky Larkin. Uh,
2: Fossil Eye. um, We're going to end with that right now. Fossil Eye is a song about, um, I wrote when I was living in London and thought how, I was reading about loads of land artists like Robert Smithson and thought how we're used to looking down into the earth and and reading everything in layers, but we just do the exact same thing to ourselves topside. I was in a building that was, you know, had many, many floors and uh, it's just that, that feeling of, of feeling free and wanting to escape from however we organise ourselves in cities. We're going to try to play both
1: Fossil Eye and Beeline by Sky Larkin, who are playing tomorrow night at Richards & Richards in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada with Lost Campanillas hosts. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all, Katie, from Sky Larkin from Leeds?
2: Just that uh, we'd love to uh, we'd love to meet you, so it would be great if, if we could say hi at the show and um, thanks to you, Nardwa, for bringing me to the ears of Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and beyond.
1: Well, thank you, Katie. And why should people care about Skylarkin? Why should people care?
2: Because we care. We care about what we're doing. So we're not, we're not doing our music for any other reason than, than wanting to be creative and, and be honest. And we don't, we're not trying to prove any anything else apart from wanting to make that connection with people. So I, I invite you to the Skylarkin party.
1: Well, thanks so much, Katie from Skylarkin. Keep on rocking in the free world and do do the loot do You're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwardy Human Serviette Radio Show. And that was Skylarkin with the song Fossil Eye. Coming up an interview with Sean Carswell from Razorcake fanzine from Los Angeles, California, celebrating 50 issues coming up very shortly. But before Sean Carswell from Razorcake fanzine, here is another track from Sky Larkin called B Line. with the final hit
3: go on new city A vast new spectacle you and I in relative size like an atom's size are two small flies in a cathedral oh I've got a lead that
0: We're the final heat. Go! It will
3: shake us off to be outside what we know. Bring your best old friends to dine. We will discuss the moment when we should all be lying. We should all be lying. We should. Oh, I saw a lead that was
4: Who are you? I'm um, Sean Carswell. I'm a co founder of Razorcake Magazine and uh, I'm a writer of some books.
1: Razorcake Fanzine. And Sean, what is Razorcake Fanzine? Uh, well, it's, it's mostly a punk rock
4: magazine out of Los Angeles, so we do uh, branch out a little further than just punk rock. We do um, occasionally have articles on, on politics or other um, forms of independent culture.
1: And you are now up to 50 issues strong. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Thanks. So you've made it up to 50 issues, but how did you end up on Conan O'Brien? How did Razorcake end up on Conan (laughs) O'Brien? So what, This is news to me? We were on Conan O'Brien? You were on the Conan O'Brien show via the band Guntermouse. Really? They wore a Razor Cake t-shirt on the mm. Conan O'Brien show.
4: Okay, well then I could figure out how we got on Conan
1: O'Brien. Congratulations. <laughs> where else has Razor Cake, over the 50 issues that you've done, since when? And where else has Razor Cake ended up? Aside from the library, where else has it ended up? It's ended up from the library probably, and Conan O'Brien, where else has it ended up, and how long has it been going? What's the actual start date?
4: Um, well, the actual start date, Todd and I first started working on Razor Cake in January of 2001. Um, I moved out to L.A. In like the, maybe the 8th of January, somewhere around there, and, and we got started right away. Our first issue came out in March of 2001.
1: And where else have you seen Razor Cake end up? Um, well, a friend of mine was uh,
4: watching a, a movie the other day called Thumb Sucker. And he told me that he was looking at the uh, thank yous and the credits, and they thanked Razorcake for some reason. And uh, and that that was awfully odd to me. Um, but I, I have no idea why they thanked us. Um, and then I've, I've seen it turn up some some weird places. One of the funniest places that it turned up, at least for me, was I was doing a job interview. I work at a university down here, and I um, was doing the interview for the for the job, and uh, I got done, and I felt like, oh, good, I, I think I'm going to get this job, and at the end, the uh, university panel said to me, um, we're happy to see that you like both punk and rock music, <laughs> and I realized that they had gotten that off of um, the Razor Cake bio page of me, and uh, I thought, oh, crap, I'm not going to get this job, but uh, but I ended up getting it anyway. They, they, they had picked up an issue of Razor Cake and checked it out and actually liked it, so...
1: Sean of Razorcake, Sean Carswell of Razorcake Fanzine, celebrating 50 issues right now, speaking to me live from Los Angeles, California, speaking to me, Nardwarta Human Serviette, on the Nardwater Human Serviette radio show, on CITR, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. What is really, really cool, Sean, uh, from Razorcake, is that Razorcake teaches me stuff, like you taught me about Emma Goldman. I did not know about Emma Goldman until I read about her in Razorcake. Oh, Cool. Did many other people have a cultural awakening to Emma Goldman?
4: You know, I think a lot of people did. I, I was I was pretty excited to do that. Um, Todd, Todd and I had interviewed Howard Zinn a few years earlier, and I asked him a question about Emma Goldman, and he said to me, you know, the, the real source on Emma Goldman is, is this woman in Berkeley. Her name's Candace Falk. And I thought, oh, I have to go up and talk to her. And then, and then um, the only excuse I could come up with to go up and talk to her about Emma Goldman and check out the archives was was to do an article for Razorcake, But then, yeah, afterwards, a lot of people um, told me that they'd picked up Emma Goldman's autobiography
1: and, and got really into it. I'm glad to hear that. So it isn't just punk rock that's in Razorcake; It's also other stuff like Emma Goldman. But maybe you can tell the people about Emma Goldman because she is kind of punk rock, isn't she?
4: In a sense, yeah. I mean, she was um, certainly a believer in individual or independent culture. Um, you know, she was an anarchist, but... Uh, mostly around the turn of the 19th to the 20th century, um, she was uh, accused of of having something to do with uh, President McKinley's assassination. And for um, for uh, Canadian listeners, President McKinley was William McKinley. Sometime in the late eight, uh, 1900s, 1892 or something like that, he was assassinated by Leon Schrager. Um, And they thought Emma Goldman had something to do with the assassination. And then as they investigated, it turned out that uh, she really had nothing to do with the assassination. She was just um, inspirational to Shulgosh. And uh, she was a a speaker. She went on speaking tours. She talked about um, not just anarchism, but about workers' rights and and women's rights. She was a big proponent of um, birth control for women when it was uh, considered obscene to talk about birth control for women in the United States. And, um, Really an amazing speaker. Uh, At one point, her boyfriend got tarred and feathered in San Diego because she was giving a speech and they didn't want her to. Um, So they took her boyfriend out into the woods and tarred and feathered him. Um, So there was a lot of resistance to her uh, because she was a very fiery speaker, but she spoke largely about – Issues of human rights, that type of thing.
1: You, Sean Carswell, from Razorcake Cake Fanzine, you've been inspired by Canadians yourself. Like, you listen to the band The Cinch from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada.
4: Yeah, yeah, I like The Cinch a lot. When I was writing my last, the novel Trainwreck Girl, um, it, The Cinch was one of the CDs that I would listen to um, almost every day when I was writing. And another Canadian band that I was listening to when I was writing that was the Banditas, who were out of um, Ontario.
1: Plus, you published a Canadian, Jennifer Whiteford, who sent her book in Toronto.
4: Yes, yes. We published the book, Girl.
1: However, you believe that BTO is a one-hit wonder. (laughs)
4: <laughs> nah, I just was trying to keep it simple I know they had two hits
1: Because that really hurt <laughs> Plus, Sean Carswell from Razorcake Fanzine You put Chris Walter in one of your top eight friends Punk author Chris Walter from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada Via Winnipeg, of course
4: In On MySpace? Yes Well, here's the dirty secret about MySpace I uh I don't really do my MySpace
1: thing. Well, whoever did was really cool to put Chris Walter, a yeah, Vancouverite, really cool. who has probably seen gigs done by the Cinch and the, their later incarnation, Vancouver, is in your top eight friends, and you even reviewed I'm Johnny and I don't give a fuck.
4: Yes, yes, Andy's book. Um, I set up a reading for Andy down in L.A. too, and he stayed at my place. Um, I, yeah, I love that scene.
1: That was out of Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada.
4: Yep. yep.
1: However, you, Sean Carswell from Razor Cake Fanzine, celebrating 50 issues. Congratulations again. I just keep saying it over and over again. But that's pretty amazing, isn't it? To make the 50 issues, like six issues a year, all the way go back to 2001. Mm -hmm. That's pretty amazing to make it that long, isn't it? I say the word amazing over and over, but in this day and age, it is amazing to stay in the print industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. You originally came from Florida, right? Yes, I did. Now, my friend... Dave Carswell, no relation, you're Sean Carswell, had Topper Heaton of The Clash's dad as a headmaster when he went to school in Dover, England. Now you, Sean Carswell, who did you have as a teacher when you were in Florida? Anybody like that or connected to rock and roll? Um.
4: No. <laughs> not, That's I can think of. So
1: how did you get into punk? It wasn't your headmaster. Isn't that pretty cool? Having Topper Heaton of The Clash's dad as your headmaster?
4: Yes, that would be very cool. So
1: he got my buddy into punk. Well, I'm not sure if he did get him into punk or not. But how did you get into punk? How did you get into this mess?
4: Y- you know, um, just kind of gradually. I, a lot of times people will talk about you know that one moment when they knew they were into punk. But, um, yeah, I remember being a kid and, and hearing some Dead Kennedy stuff, and, and I guess the one album that was really seminal to me is a, a friend of mine in high school went up to uh, D.C. to visit his dad, and he came back home with a Minor Thread album, and he played, uh, it was at this point, the complete discography. And when he played that, it was just—it just blew my mind. And um, and so it wasn't a scene in my high school. It wasn't. It was very unknown. I mean, growing up in a small town in Florida in the 80s, it was—it um, just wasn't there. And so I think it was um, stuff like the Dead Kennedys, which was pretty easy to to get a hold of, or, or Minor Threat, which, you know, when I first heard that, I. I Knew I had to take a different path in life.
1: Who were the local bands in your area growing up, and as you got older? What about the Scooby Doo's or Discount from Vero Beach? Scooby Doo's being from Melbourne, Florida.
4: Those would all be after I was growing up, <laughs> a little older than that. I was actually um, out of grad school and, and back home living in Florida when Discount started playing around.
1: Did you ever go to the old schoolhouse in Vero Beach?
4: I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw. Um, I saw Discount. Wait, the old schoolhouse? No, no, I went to a um, community center and saw Discount less than Jake in Bureau Beach.
1: It's interesting how Discount have kind of ended up, eh, with Allison and the band The Kills?
4: Yeah, yeah, it's kind of funny.
1: Have you seen The Kills? I have not, no. So you don't usually progress beyond the first band you like, because (laughs) I saw you saying something about to the effect of Dave from Scared of Shaka. What band did he go on to?
4: Ah, it's some other band I heard the of. The Shins.
1: Yeah. So he went on to The is? Shins. So yeah. you ignore The Shins, you ignore The Kills. You only like the first <laughs> generation, right?
4: No, that's not true. You know, I mean, I'm a, I'm equally a fan of the goblins and the and the evaporators. Bah,
1: boom! <laughs> but they exist in the same parallel universe. How about in Florida? Did you ever run into any Nazi skins at all in Palm Bay? What was the Nazi skinhead problem like there?
4: Uh, yeah, I, I did. I, um, I... I went to a show one time in in Palm Bay.
1: Was it the um, New Bomb Turks and Ladonna's?
4: Um, no, I don't think it was. Okay. I don't I don't remember what this show was, but it, I mean, this is going back probably uh, '91 somewhere around there. And I was with a, a buddy of mine, and and he was the only black guy in the at the show, and and that caused some problems. And um, one of the skinheads went to jump me instead of instead of my buddy, and I. Uh, I swung a bottle at him, and then he he backed down, Um, but I didn't actually hit him. He managed to dodge it. Um, So, yeah, I almost got in a fight with some Nazi skins in Palm Bay.
1: That sounds very terrifying, and you say it so calmly, Sean. Have you always been so calm?
4: (laughs) Well, it was was 18 years ago in r It's easy to be calm about things that happened 18 years ago.
1: Speaking of landmarks in Florida, do you like the Cracker Barrel chain? (laughs) What? What you tell the people about the Cracker Barrel chain? <laughs> uh, you
4: know, um, it's, a, it's a kitschy chain restaurant. I don't know really what to tell about it.
1: It's Blowfly's favorite chain, Cracker Barrel. Is it? It is indeed. <laughs> he hangs out in Miami, Florida.
4: Well, I guess there's no accountant for takes,
1: huh? Sean Carswell from Razor Cake fanzine. Early days of Razor Cake. Really early days of Razor Cake. You met Todd taylor from razor cake in arizona what did he look like what did you look like what attracted you to him what attracted him to you
4: uh well i I don't know you know um we we were in in school together at northern arizona university and um you know how it is you can kind of look around a group of people and tell by how they're dressed and that kind of thing um whether they're into the same things you are and todd looked very much like a uh a punk rocker. And so I kind of knew, all right, here's someone I can talk to about music. Here's someone I can listen to music with. And we just had a lot in common.
1: Does Todd still look like a punk rocker?
4: Um, <laughs> sort of. Yeah. Sort of. No. Um, I think he's still wearing the same clothes that he was wearing when I met him about 15 years ago. Um, the same exact clothes, not the same kind of clothes. Um, <laughs> and, uh, outside of that, you know, Sort of yes, yeah, sort of no.
1: Sean Carswell, you met Todd Taylor in Arizona. Mm-hmm. What has Todd dragged you into? Did he drag you into Flipside before he dragged you into Razor Cake?
4: Sort of, yeah. I asked to be in Flipside when he started working. I asked if I could do reviews, and he said yes.
1: And then Todd convinced you to build a house and then sell it and then take the profits and start Razor Cake.
4: Sort of. The
1: house that Razorcake built. Usually it happens (laughs) the other way around, right? You have like a big magazine. You make all this money and then you sell the house or whatever. And everybody's mad that you sold the house and you didn't give any money to all all the contributors or something. But here you built the house first, sold it, and then took the money and started the mag. That's incredible. How did all that come about?
4: Well, I was working uh, construction. I was working as a site supervisor. And I would built a certain model house a couple times for my boss. And and he sold it for um, pretty good money. And so I just... Built the same house in the same neighborhood myself. I got a loan and, and built it, and then I made a pretty good profit on it, so I, uh, I quit my job and, uh, and moved out to L.A. and took the money that I made as a profit so that I could live off of it for the first year.
1: How long did it take to build a house, and how hard is it to build a house, and have you considered ba- building another house?
4: <laughs> um, it took me about three months to build that house, um, but I grew up working construction. And, and my boss, I said my boss, but it was really my dad was um, my boss. And so, you know, I was always working either for him or for different crews that I knew through him. And, um, and so building a house wasn't that tough, but, but no, um, when I left Florida, I, I got rid of all my tools just to make sure that I would no longer work construction again, and I have not since.
1: Where is Razor Cake located now, and is there a Razor Cake house, and how well is it constructed?
4: <laughs> there is a Razor Cake house. Todd Taylor lives upstairs, and then downstairs is, is Razor Cake, and uh, it's pretty well-constructed. It's a good house.
1: Sean Carswell from Razorcake Cake fanzine celebrating 50 issues, six issues a year since 2001. Todd Taylor, your co-conspirator, has contributed many different phrases to the rock and roll world. One of them is calling... Razorcake, Cake fanzine, the Punk Rock Consumer Reports? Do you agree with that? Is Razor Cake the Punk Rock Consumer Reports?
4: You know, I would say, yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. Um, I always like Consumer Reports. You know, it's, they, they give everything a fair shake. They're, they seem fairly open-minded. They're not driven by their advertisement, and that's very rare to see in the media, where um, you have something that's funded mostly by advertising, yeah, you don't let advertising influence your editorial decisions, and uh, and we do all those things by consumer reports. So yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that.
1: You're definitely not driven by your advertising because it's only 200 bucks for a full-page ad in Razorcake?
4: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cheap. Um, no, uh, Razorcake's one of the few magazines that exists largely on newsstand sales and things like that as well. Has the post
1: office affected Razor Cake?
4: Uh, the post office in the United States has gotten really dirty in the last few years with gas prices going up and all that. And um, one of the ways they, they uh, generated revenue is by restructuring their cost system. And the, they actually um, uh, apparently lobbyists for AOL Time Warner restructured how you can send certain items. And, um, and they restructured it basically so that it would benefit them. And, um, and so it used to be that we could send a lot of stuff media mail, which um, is a program going back all the way to Thomas Jefferson, which states that, you know, in an effort to support a free media, you should have a discounted mailing rate for, for magazines or um, periodicals, more or less. And, um, and so they jacked up the rate of media mail. They, they raised it um, by about 75% more.
1: And you have quite a few copies to go out. You print up six thousand copies of Razor Cake, but you mail out about a thousand.
4: Uh, that sounds about right. Yeah, I think we mail out prob- we mail out almost all of them because you mail them to distributors and things like that. We mail out a thousand directly to people, but we would mail out the other five thousand to distributors and, and that kind of thing. One
1: thousand subscribers. Right. Right. Why are there no live reviews or letters in Razor Cake?
4: Um, there are no live reviews because they get dated so quickly.
1: But what about people like me who live far away, where it doesn't seem dated, where they're just happy to read about a band that they'll never see?
4: Um, uh, Well, we have it on the website. You can always go on the website and read it.
1: But isn't that kind of a cop-out? You want it in a print.
4: (laughs) Maybe it is. Um... And, and as far as the letter section goes, Todd, Todd and I talked about that a, a lot. And, um, and basically, we, we said, you know, if we're doing the work, if, if we're um, putting in, the, if we're controlling the content, um, we want to have writers who we respect and, and who we choose. And we want to fill up content with, with our writers, not with um, just anyone who's got an opinion.
1: John Carswell from Razorcake fanzine, celebrating fifty issues. Congratulations on that! That is really, really amazing.
0: Yeah.
1: Who were your contemporaries when you started out with Razorcake? What were some other magazines that were around at the same time when you started Razorcake in two thousand and one? What was the zine scene like then?
4: Well, Punk Planet was still around then, and and you know they were they were doing pretty well, and there was uh, Clamor magazine, which wasn't exactly directly punk rock but it was kind of punk rock politics and that was, a, that was a pretty cool one and there was verbicide out of um new england um that was publishing pretty regularly and, and wonka vision out of uh, i think denver or no philadelphia um and there were just uh, there were a bunch and I, I think of of all those that i just listed only wonka vision is still publishing
1: what was the reason for the decline of all this? Was it something to do with distribution? Like, was the closing of Tower really, really sucky Did that that happened? Yep. Was Tower cool? Was Tower Records cool?
4: Ta- all of my experiences with Tower Records, the people who worked there were great. You know, and and I, I know it was a chain store, and, and I know their music was iffy, but they had big racks of zines, and, um, and they were a big supporter of the zine community. And, um, and yeah, I'm I'm sorry to see them go.
1: How many of Razorcake would have they taken if they were still around, or did they take?
4: Oh, they took a lot. I don't remember the exact number, but when they closed, that was uh, I think a thousand Razorcakes that we were no longer um, selling of each issue. Um, so they they took a lot, and and uh, and there have been other uh, distribution companies that have gone under that have really hurt the zine community there was desert moon which was a supposedly independent um zine distributor and and they carried and and moved a lot of zines um they went under and then uh um big top distributors was another big one out of san francisco and they went under too i think big top Closing was uh was probably a big part of the death or the fall of punk planet
1: so 50 issues of Razor Cake. Mm-hmm. Since 2001, you've ended up in the movie Thumbsucker and also ended up on the Conan O'Brien show. Mm-hmm. With the knowledge out there of Razor Cake in the general world, do you think that Hustler magazine might have been seriously interested in buying Razor Cake? <laughs> have they offered I heard that Megan was approached by Hustler magazine.
4: You know that that could be the case. Um, she didn't tell me about it if that happened. I, I I know she. I
1: think they said something like "cool mag" to her. I don't yeah. think maybe they wanted to buy it or anything like that. But still, have you been approached by anybody like that, like Hustler magazine wanting to buy Razorcake? Like Hustler thought that Razorcake was cool. They at least thought that Razorcake was cool.
4: Uh, I know that Hustler thought that, that we were cool, and I know that Hustler tried to buy, buy Barracuda magazine, which was um, a magazine that, that was one of our contemporaries when we started and not publishing anymore. Or, I think they just wanted to get the editor, Jeff Box to work for them, one or the other. Um, but no, no, no one's really uh, approached me to buy it.
1: What about your writings, Sean? You've done quite a few writings out there. How many books have you written? How many short stories have you written? Do you write every day?
4: Oh, that's a mess of questions. Um, I've, I've written two novels, and I have two short story collections out. And um, I do write just about every day. I do something with my writing every day. You know, A lot of times I'll just be reading and revising and, or that, that type of thing. Um, and as far as short stories, I don't know. I've written hundreds of them and you know, published hundreds of them.
1: When you publish them, a lot of them are published under the Gorski name. What is Gorski, and how did you come up with that name?
4: Gorski Press is the book publishing arm of Razor Cake. We, we're putting out our 18th book in about a month here, and, and that's how we published Girl and Todd Taylor's Born to Rock and Jim Ruhlin's Big Lonesome and, and a bunch of those books. Um, and and the name comes from uh, – an old urban legend about the space center. Um, supposedly, when Neil Armstrong went to the moon, one of his transmissions back to Mission Control was "was good luck, Mr. Gorsky," and he never explained what that meant. And then, uh, sometime in the '90s, he came out and he said, "Well, um, when he was a kid, he lived next door to the Gorskys, and when he he had hit a baseball under the Gorsky's window, and when when he went to get it, he heard Mr. Gorsky trying to convince Mrs. Gorsky to give him a blow job." And she said, yeah, I'll do that when the boy next door lands on the moon. And so good luck, Mr. Gorski. That's the joke. Boom, and
1: that really is documented?
4: <laughs> um, it's documented as not being true. <laughs> um, but it's, it's a real urban urban myth. I, I knew a guy who worked out at the Space Center, and he swore he heard Neil Armstrong tell that story. Um, but I, mean, I don't know how true it is.
1: Sean, when you do readings, you don't really do readings from your material. You do recitings, don't you? You memorize stuff. Yes, I do. How much do you have memorized? And do you need the book in front of you still to read it, like to look down at?
4: Um, I have I have a bunch of stories actually memorized. Um, maybe not I mean seven or eight short stories or chapters from novels or things like that. Um, but I, I do carry the book with me because um I find that it makes people around me more comfortable then they can see that it's a reading and, and the thing that I'm talking about is actually in a book.
1: So you think they might not believe you if you weren't holding the book. So the book is a prop.
4: The book is a prop.
1: Yes. Just like Ron Jeremy's penis.
4: <laughs> yes my books are just like ron jeremy's penis
1: sean carswell you also publish patricia Geary on Gorski. what can you tell the people about patricia Geary? because she had an interesting sort of experience with publishers didn't she like she's an example of what can go wrong right
4: yeah yeah but patricia Geary was kind of a uh, literary darling in the 80s you know she had a, a couple of books that were bestsellers uh the second of which was strange toys which um won the Philip K. Dick award in 1987. And, um, and the story is that when they were editing strange toys, her editor, uh, got in some kind of office confrontation with the boss. I guess that they were all getting drunk one night and she locked him in a closet. And, uh, when the boss came out of the closet, he, uh, he fired everyone. Um, and he killed all the projects, but they were too far along and under contract with strange toys. So, um, he essentially led to kind of a blacklisting of of Pat's stuff, and uh, and my wife was a big big fan of Pat's works, and I, I am too. And so when we were doing Gorski, one of the people we wanted to try to publish again was Pat, and she hadn't published anything in 15 years, and we convinced her to let us put a few of her books out.
1: Had anybody else approached her at all? Was she leery at all to go with you, or did she just know you guys just from the university scene?
4: Uh, well she. She knew Felizan from from when Felizan was at the university. Um, And and her and Felizan had a good relationship, and they worked together. Uh, Felizan edited Pat's stuff, and they worked together really well in in that regard. Um, So I think Pat was pretty comfortable with us, and and she's been happy with what we've done with her last few books. Um, But I'm I'm sure other people approached her because uh, whenever her books come out, a lot of people contact me about film rights, about translation rights, about things like that. I get a lot of letters to forward to Pat from fans who are excited to see that her stuff is back out, that kind of thing.
1: Sean Carswell from Razorcake Fanzine and Gorski Press, winding up here speaking mean where to human serviette live on CITR, FM one oh two, cable one oh two, Vancouver British Columbia, Canada. You wrote a story, fifteen bucks and a cookie. uh-huh What was that all about? It was about uh
4: Doing nothing with your life, basically, <laughs> sitting on a porch getting drunk.
1: And it ended up being adapted,
4: y- didn't it? Yes, it was made into a short film by Mike Plant.
1: Now, what sort of problems can there be when something gets adapted? One of your idols, Jim Thompson, didn't he work a bit with Kubrick, and didn't Stanley Kubrick kind of screw over Jim Thompson slightly? What sort of problems can there be when a writer gets something turned into an adaption?
4: Um there can, there can be some real problems, um, with other stuff, uh, that I've had out there. I've had people contact me about, uh, different stories or novels that I've written and about making them into movies. And, um, and that, that's typically turned into bad news. Um, but with that little short film, I'm, I'm I'm friends with Mike and, and all the, uh, actors in the movie were just, people we knew, and, and that was just fun. Um, it was just a, a fun little movie. But, yeah, there, there have been some ugly, ugly scenes with people trying to uh, adapt my books and writing screenplays and sending them to me and that kind of thing.
1: How did it become ugly?
4: Well, um, I, I don't know that I want to say. <laughs> I don't want to offend anyone, that kind of thing.
1: Well, what about Jim Thompson?
4: Oh, with Jim Thompson and Stanley Kubrick, apparently what uh, Kubrick did was he got Jim Thompson to write The Killing for him, and, um, and The Killing was adopted, adapted from another novel, and, um, and so the, the story already existed, and Kubrick wrote the screenplay. He adapted it to film – um, I'm sorry, Thompson wrote the screenplay and adapted it to film, and, um, and Kubrick only uh, credited him as uh, with a dialogue by tag. So Kubrick kept the the writing royalties and only gave Thompson um, like a co-writing royalty and basically just ripped them off when Thompson actually wrote the movie.
1: Lastly, here Sean Carswell from Razorcake, Fanzine and Gorski Press. You're into orality? What is orality?
4: <laughs> oh, if I told you that, I would put your readers to sleep. It's uh, it's just looking at the way um, language constructs our consciousness. It's just. Academic stuff.
1: And will "fuck you, Dale" ever end? What is "fuck you, Dale" and Razorcake fanzine?
4: I hope that never ends. Every issue of Razorcake magazine has a "fuck you, Dale" written in there somewhere, and, and sometimes it's it's um really well hidden. Like uh, Megan actually did a uh, record review one time, and she formatted it so that the first wor- first letter in each line was capitalized. And if you look straight down the column, it said "fuck you, Dale." And, um, you know, different places like that. But if you look around the magazine, every issue hidden somewhere in there, like a, a little Where's Waldo, is the Fuck You Dale.
1: What is the genesis of that that people may not be familiar with, the Fuck You Dale Razor Cake connection? Uh, it's
4: just a way of saying Fuck You to Dale, uh, designated Dale.
1: He's one of your writers. He's
4: one of our writers, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's obviously lighthearted because he keeps writing for us. Yeah. Um,
1: does he ever ask you where it is in the issue?
4: He finds it. He hunts it down. Every
1: single time?
4: Yeah, yeah. I don't think he's ever not found it. Um, but but the genesis of it is, is a lot of times um, he would kind of try to egg on Todd and egg him on. And then you can see Todd just kind of clenching his jaw, uh, getting frustrated at Dale, uh, kind of teasing him. And then Dale would say, go on, say it, Todd. Go on and say it. And then Todd would just say, fuck you, Dale. <laughs> and then, and then uh, tensions would evaporate. So that's where it comes from.
1: Well, thanks so much for your time, Sean Carswell from Razorcake Fanzine, celebrating 50 issues since 2001 and still going strong. If people are interested in Razorcake, we're going to get more information.
4: Uh, www.razorcake.org.
1: And why should people care about Razor Cake? Why should people care?
4: Um... Should they? Because <laughs> not the human serviette is in every issue. I think that's why they should care.
1: Well, that's probably less reason for them to care. <laughs> well, thanks very so much, Sean Carswell from Razorcake Cake Fanzine. Keep on rocking in the free world and do do.
4: do
2: Welcome to a special edition of News 101. I'm Carrie Baptist, coming to you live from the Student Union Building at UBC, here with Brad Peppink and Megan Tercato. Unfortunately, the internet is out in the whole station, so this is going to be a special edition of News 101, all music, all the time. I'd like to start things off with a shout out to my dad, happy birthday, and this one's for you.
5: This song is called Alice's Restaurant. It's about Alice and the restaurant. But Alice's Restaurant is not the name of the restaurant. That's just the name of the song. That's why we call this song Alice's Restaurant. You can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. You can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. Walk right in, it's around the back, just a half a mile from the railroad track. And you can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. It all started about four Thanksgivings ago. It was about four years ago on Thanksgiving, when my friend and I went up to see Alice and her husband Ray and Facha the dog. Alice doesn't live in the restaurant, though. She lives in the church nearby the restaurant, in the bell tower. Living in the bell tower like that, they got a lot of room downstairs where the pews used